1: Today, we're speaking with Stephen Pivnik. Hey, Stephen, how are you?
2: Good, Ben. How are you?
1: I'm very, very well, Stephen. And uh, Stephen is a really, really interesting guy. We're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff with him. He is most recently the founder and CEO of an advisory service, AIP Advisory, that aims to help entrepreneurs navigate the challenges of growth and liquidity. He's also had a very successful career as an entrepreneur, um, perhaps notably being the founder and CEO and chairman of Binary Tree. And we'll talk a little bit about that. He's also about to be an author, a published author. So we're going to talk about him writing his book as well. Um, But before we get there, Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself and your
2: career. Sure, um, I'm happy to. So I, I guess the best way to summarize my career is um, one of being a, a serial entrepreneur. Um, I started off as a mainframe programmer and then slowly but surely upgraded my skills to more popular technology. And in the early 90s, um, started a company um, use, utilizing those skills just to provide um, computer um, software solutions um, to customers. Um, little projects you know snowballed into much bigger projects and eventually you know grew, grew my company to over 200 employees across 12 countries servicing the, the global 5000 of, of, of the world. So it was um, an incredible entrepreneurial ride and um, the entrepreneurialism
1: continues. That's awesome. And it sounds now like you're pushing an entrepreneurial advisory service. Tell me a little bit about the AIP advisory experience.
2: Sure. So I've benefited tremendously from advisors throughout my entire career. And um, I had advisors um, in multiple forms, you know, from mentors outside the company um, to formal, you know, CEO peer group type advisory services to bringing on a, you know, small management consulting firm um, to help, again, also from a growth from a growth and liquidity perspective. So all of those experiences were incredibly positive for me. So after I sold my last company, I have really decided to give it back to the community and provide you know, similar types of services to fellow founder entrepreneurs to help them you know, scale and, and prepare for an ultimate exit of their company, whether it be to a strategic acquirer or potentially to a uh, f- financial acquirer.
1: That's amazing. And I mean, I think every entrepreneur, me being an entrepreneur, that advice is critical. I mean, understanding how you prepare a business for that next phase, as well as exits. Um, It's sometimes seems like it's obvious and then it becomes clear that the ones that are successful know tips and tricks that the rest of us need to learn. So,
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard the term playbook a lot. You know, a lot of these like private equity firms and VCs, they have their playbook you know for success but you know individuals have playbooks as well and especially individuals i'm not gonna pat myself on the shoulder for make for doing all the right things i'm gonna i have a ton of baggage and mistakes (laughs) that i can speak to and helping entrepreneurs avoid you know some of those mistakes is is really really rewarding
1: So, Stephen, I mean, I think you're being extremely modest, obviously, on your entrepreneurial journey. But the other thing that I think is important to mention is your experience outside of work and uh, with things like ultra marathons and the Ironman and this book that you have coming out. So tell me more about what's going on there.
2: Yeah, um, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities in performing in high in ultra endurance events as there are to running growing and, and selling a business. you know all the all the hard work, the preparation, the dedication, um, the hours, the setbacks, the recoveries. I mean the list goes on and on and on in terms of similarities. Um, so once once I developed a passion for these long endurance events like ultra marathons, I run up to 100k. Um, Ironman events. I've done uh, 15 full-distance Ironman events around the world. I've climbed some of the tallest peaks out there, including Aconcagua, which is second highest to Everest. Um, Everest is on the list. <laughs> And all of these um, activities have finally culminated in me qualifying for the Iron Man World Championship, in, which is held in Hawaii once a year, and is televised on NBC. Um, I get to say hi mom on television, which <laughs> is going to be an incredible, incredible moment. But um, this is a long, long preamble too. Um, I've been keeping a blog, on a lot of my adventure um, stories. Every time I climb a mountain or do do an interesting race, I'll blog about it. And uh, everybody has been um, pretty complimentary about that content. And I've been getting the write a book, write a book book chant (laughs) from my um, friends and family. And I finally um, decided to do so. So I started a book. It's tentatively titled Built to Finish. It's about finishing races, finishing business events, getting to an exit, et cetera, et cetera tentative and everything um, may change in the world of publishing. And I'm super excited to be writing about it now. Um, I'm, I'm competing in the Ironman World Championship in October. So the book will be, the, the manuscript will be finished shortly after that with the release coming hopefully either at the end of this year or um, beginning of next year. It's amazing.
1: I love it. And I love the title. So I know it's only a working title. And I hope it ends up making it to be the real title. But you know, with all that experience, and that idea that what you just talked about, which is endurance, you know, endurance being such an important quality for entrepreneurs to have, what are some of the key trends and key things that uh, you're seeing that entrepreneurs need to be thinking about right now?
2: Sure. I mean, um, I, I think the same old challenges, you know, from years ago um, ex- exist today in terms of, you know, scaling your company, you know, getting your product known, um, keeping your customer satisfied. Um, you know, the 5,000 pound gorilla um, right now, obviously, is how do you do so in this ever increasing, you know, virtual world. And um, it, that, that that's a trend. I mean, um, c- entrepreneurs that are going to successfully navigate um, this, new, um, this new reality are going to do much better than folks um, that can't. Um, I'm not going to say we invented being virtual at at Binary Tree, but we were virtual before virtual was a thing. We became virtual, unfortunately, after the disaster of 9-11. We couldn't get into our offices for uh, a long time, and boom, company became virtual. And shortly after that, we started to realize that in order to hire the best talent possible, or to make it a little bit easier to hire the best talent possible, let's remove any geographical boundaries, you know, for that specific position. And that's how we slowly but surely expanded into, I think by the time we're done, it was 22 states and on 12 countries um, from from an employment perspective. So again, I think the, the trend is figuring out how to build, scale and run a a company in a virtual environment and how to create a great culture and a productive culture when you don't see people anymore all day, every day. Well, let me dig a
1: little bit more on that, because I think the thing you just mentioned at the end there is the one that perhaps now that we've been in the whole virtual or hybrid structure game for a while is something that I, I'm i thinking a lot about, which is culture. You know, how do you keep culture going? How do you maintain it? How do you build that connection that happens when you're sitting in a room with somebody um, in a virtual construct? And what tips do you have for us?
2: Yeah, the culture part is really um, um, difficult because in the good old days, you know, you you want to you know b- build camaraderie and create relationships. You invite everybody downstairs to the bar after work or to to, to a dinner. Can't do that anymore, and um. So, I, but but you can have a virtual version. I mean, we we had um, we sold the company literally at the height of COVID, September of 20. Leading up to that, that obviously it was you know six months of you know pure hell. Just you know leading into that time frame, we we took all of our um, activities that we normally would have had and we threw them onto Teams or or Zoom. Um, you know, five o'clock, you know, bring a beer, bring a, bring a beverage, bring your dog, bring your child. And we had, you know, multiple versions of this and we made it really interesting. And uh, um, we had trivia games, we had um, talent contests. I showed, I showed off my new uh, my new um, TikTok skills, which was <laughs> hysterical. Other people gave us, you know, cooking lessons. Um, if, if you really um, put an effort forward, you, you really can create um, camaraderie and a you can affect your culture by going above and beyond and doing these things. They're awkward at first, um, but if you keep at it, it, it becomes really natural.
1: When, you know, you set up your business, you also sold a business during the pandemic. And you mentioned that some of the skills that successful entrepreneurs going forward will have are these individuals who are able to operate in these more virtual, flexible structures, et cetera. What are some of the other things that you've seen over this pandemic period that are critical for entrepreneurial leaders to keep in mind?
2: Um, again, just I'm, I'm keeping your workforce motivated, and you know, keeping them um, plugged in when all of a sudden they're completely disconnected. Um, they can't just you know walk in, knock on your door, and you know have a water cooler conversation. So um, I know a lot of punk, um, companies pride themselves on being transparent, you know, with information, with KPIs, numbers, et cetera, et cetera. I think people, entrepreneurs, need to go, you know, take that transparency to the next level. Make information you know readily available, so that um, again your employees aren't seeing other employees often. So if they need to be able to you know, see what's going on with the company and, and to see that there's a hustle and bustle and productivity. And there's a lot of tools that out there that um that 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 make that a lot easier, you know, Slack teams, um et cetera, et cetera. So but you, you have to make concerted effort, you know, to post that information so that people can feel um a um a pulse of, of the company.
1: Yeah, I think is a really good point. I see that with our Slack channels. They're alive, you know, they're really kicking, and that's always a good sign for sure. But uh, you know, I'd be curious because you've been an entrepreneur, you've set up businesses. Going forward right now, we're looking at an interesting landscape for entrepreneurs because perhaps no one wants to say it, but let's say the R word is Creeping in there and uh, how that's impacting things like early stage investing for these startups. What's your advice for folks that are getting going or perhaps even entering kind of like a series A or a series B?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 never been easy. Um, it's definitely getting you know a a little bit more challenging. Um, there's still a like ton of money out there, but I, I think the um, the um, the process that investors are putting entrepreneurs for is getting you know a little bit more complicated. It's taking it's taking a lot longer than it has been in the past to um, to do deals. So I I think you know entrepreneurs need to focus uh, again. Everybody wants to create like the next Facebook or the next Google, and there's a ton of opportunity to create things that are a lot less lot less sexy, but just in demand. Um, for for instance, I mean I'll, I'll use my own company as an example. Um, we created email conversion utilities to convert email data from one platform to another. You know, we would go to investors for many years in a row and get laughed at saying, A, we can't believe you're doing as much business as you're doing right now. B, we can't believe that you continue to grow year after year after year, and you have no recurring revenue, but you fit this incredible need. Well, the lack of recurring revenue and the lack of predictability um, didn't didn't help us from an uh, attracting investor's perspective. But being knee-deep in that business, we knew that next year there was going to be more demand than there was this year, and that trend is going to continue. So, so yes, again, long answer to, you don't need to create the next Facebook. Create something really, really unattractive, but a niche that's in high demand, and um, it, you'd be amazed at the success you'll have.
1: I love that answer. And I really think that it's something that we often forget, right? Everyone's chasing these unicorns. And the reality is that there's a lot of amazing work being done in niche areas, as well as perhaps businesses that won't necessarily scale to $20 billion, right? That are also Mm -hmm. equally valuable. I think it's a really good point you're making, Stephen. I have a follow-on question, which is when you were going out there and raising and looking at capital opportunities or even exits you know one of the things i think that companies find is that the investors have such a preset list of criteria right they're in there kind of like they bring their book to the meeting and they say oh well you know steven has this check he has that check he doesn't have this oh well no deal how do you get around those things
2: yeah um they're they're really really tough and like my number one advice and I, i think that um the products we created led to the company's success. You know, we became a, a sizable organization, um, you know, worldwide operations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we filled a great niche. What we didn't do, and with the, and with what the number one criteria is for 9.99% of the investments is recurring revenue. So creating a product or a service which is sticky, which a customer will use repeatedly and renew their subscription for. Um, That's what investors want because they want reliability of future earnings or some sort of predictability of future earnings, even though nobody's guaranteed to renew 100% of their customers. Um, When you have a project based business, you know, come in, fill a need, do some great work, even provide software as part of that. But then it ends and a customer may not need you again, A, ever, or B, best case scenario, two, three, four more years from now. Investors hate that there's just, even though you know you're going to be called in very, very quickly, you can't predict exactly when that's going to happen. So the lack of predictable revenue aka recurring revenue is going to be held against you. The second you say it, Every, everything else is shit. You, you. You might you, you might as well just like just walk out of the room.
1: <laughs> yeah, they that's what they really want to know more about. You're absolutely right. Well, Stephen, it's been amazing talking to you about your businesses. You know, we've been speaking with Stephen Pivnik. He is most recently the founder and CEO of an advisory business that is advising entrepreneurs how to navigate the challenges of growth and liquidity. Something that all entrepreneurs need advice on. He's also a very, very successful entrepreneur in his own right, uh, CEO and founder and chairman of Binary Tree that recently exited during the during the pandemic. He's also an incredible ultra endurance athlete, and he will be the author of a new book very, very shortly that we'll be talking about how those two worlds come together, the world of being an entrepreneur and the world of being a, an ultra endurance athlete. And so Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. We're excited to see your book in the fall and good luck in Hawaii.
2: Yeah, Ben, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. And if anybody wants to uh, follow along on this great adventure that I'm on, I'd be um, happy to share it with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where's the best place to reach you? Yeah, the best place is um, a recently launched website called StephenPivnik.com. Pretty simple. Just go there. You you can see my blog entries from previous adventures and sign up for updates. And I'll be providing email updates to anybody that subscribes about the book's progress there. So StephenPivnik.com. Excellent.
1: Great. Well, Stephen, uh, thank you so much. And everyone go to stephenpivnik.com to check that out. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate it. Cheers.
2: Take care.
0: Those that can really come in and understand risk intelligently and in finance uh, with the right insights mm-hmm. will uh, really have multi-trillion-dollar retail supply chains that they can move liquidity into and and earn
1: uh, earn earn value from. So mm-hmm. so that's really
0: what's happening. Is you kind of saw it, and it sounds it sounds
1: like you were even surprised at how quickly it's been happening.
0: Yeah, and I've been speaking to a lot of some similar companies recently and really impressed. And, and the money's coming in, not from just Pakistani VCs or Middle East VCs, but U.S.-based VCs with very limited Pakistani connections. You know, funds like Antler are, and, and Wavemaker in Singapore are, are, are funding a lot of these, these companies in, in, their, in their second round. So it, it's really changing, changing quickly. And so I think it'll be almost unrecognizable in, in a few years. I really think it's changing that fast. And so that's, that's one thing, but what we want to do is we still see that these are aggregated, the data is managed in, in, in chains. Mm-hmm. So it's managed through uh, a B2B e-commerce provider into the stores that they serve for the SKUs and products that they have in their network. And nobody's really covering it across brands, across products, across everything. Mm -hmm. And and that I believe is just a tremendous opportunity. So, so we are launching really the biggest supply chain data acquisition initiative in the history of Asia, and we're doing this through a tokenization micro incentive scheme. And I think this is going to drive a lot of economic value for us as a company and our customers. Mm -hmm. But I actually truly believe, and I've seen the, the beginnings of this, I truly believe we're actually gonna have a real positive impact on the lives of literally tens of millions of people. And, and ultimately the supply chains will be better for, for a billion. But I think I'm talking about direct impact and I'm yeah. talking about
1: m- m- money money in the wallet. Yeah, money yeah. on the day, so which yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Max, thank you so much for talking to us about what LiberaTrade is up to. I must admit, hearing that you were headed off to places like Pakistan during, during COVID is just impressive. You, are, uh, you certainly are a pioneer in this space and excited to see what Libera Trade does over the next couple of years. Um, if someone wanted to reach you and learn more about what you're up to, uh, where should they find you?
0: Uh, just on, uh, on email, it's uh, you know, max.ward, W-A-R-D at liberatrade.ai or just click the contact on our website and you'll find a way to
1: reach me there. Excellent, great. Well, we've been speaking with Max Ward. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Libera Trade, which is a very innovative company providing AI solutions for logistics and supply chain businesses in emerging markets by accumulating data from small and medium enterprises, thereby helping them to predict demand, grow sales, and minimize waste. Um, He is working on some very, very exciting stuff in the Asia Pacific market specifically. And we're excited to read more about what Libera Trade is up to in the near future. So Max, thank you so much for being on Uncaged. Great, really appreciate the opportunity. Cheers. Thanks.